We need 2024, and as we are beginning a transition as a church, we need a fresh encounter with the living God. What would that look like in your life if you had this year a fresh encounter with Jesus, a fresh encounter with the living God? Would that be awesome? Yeah, yeah it would be, right? It might be a little terrifying, right, for some of us. But, but I, I think it could be uh, full of a lot of joy as well. We're going to be looking at that as we plunge into this series for the next six weeks, talking about encountering Jesus together. So just by way of flow of where we've been, you know, the church calendar, some of that may be new to some of you, it starts in Advent. We went through Advent. We talked about making room for God. Church calendar switches into Christmas for a couple weeks, and then it moves into this season that's called Epiphany. And Epiphany actually started yesterday. Some of you might be familiar with some of the celebrations. I know in the city we have, often there's like Three Kings Day parties. Have you heard of Three Kings Day party? It's all about, Epiphany is all about the manifestation of the Son of God as the God-man to the world. And that's what we're gonna be looking at in this series, Encountering Jesus Together, is looking at the manifestation of God in various stories. So this morning we're gonna be looking at the baptism of Jesus, which is one of the key texts, which actually the church around the world globally today is actually celebrating the baptism of Jesus uh, today. So if you'll stand with me, if you're able, turn to Mark chapter one. If you remember a few weeks back, I said, we're gonna, you're gonna start hearing a lot from Mark. We're gonna be in Mark for a while uh, with, with some John text sort of mixed in. So I'm picking back up on where I started just a few weeks ago in Mark chapter one. Remember verse one to three, I know you won't remember the sermon because I had to go back and look at it myself and I was the one who preached it. We talked about, we talked about having an uncluttered path to God as God is preparing to come into the world, okay? So that was verses one to three. So hear this, this is God's word, verses one, uh, chapter one, verses four through 11. This is God's word. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism for, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I and well pleased. John had a fresh encounter with the living of God that day in the Jordan River. If you're excited about having a fresh encounter with Jesus this year and even today in your life, would you just say amen, amen. and please be seated. So let's talk about that. What would it look like for this church, for Living Word, to have a fresh encounter with the living God? Here's the first thing. There's three things I think you'll see. The first is this, this heightened sense of anticipation. I'll give you the outline. There's a renewed kind of wow factor. That's the second point about Jesus. 
And the third, and the third thing I'm gonna hold for just a second, we'll leave that as kind of a surprise point, the way to keep you all awake. So a heightened sense of anticipation is probably the first mark of a church that is encountering Jesus for the, for, in a fresh new way. Mark uh, chapter one, verse four, it says right there, you see that, and John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Now I want you to start to pay attention. This text is laden with all kinds of imagery, all kinds of hearkening back to the Old Testament. It's all over here if you see it. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. There's your first Im imagery preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Remember, in the Old Testament, the wilderness is a place where God's people go after, after leaving Egypt. They go through the Red Sea, and they wander around in the wilderness. It's a place of judgment for God's people because they were exceedingly disobedient to God in the wilderness. So in some respects, as they're coming back out into the wilderness, it's a picture of them returning to that place of wandering and that place of judgment. Go to verse 5. And you'll, if you just have your Bibles, whether it's on a phone or actually it's some of you still have physical Bibles, I imagine, right? How many of you actually brought a physical Bible today? It's like one person here brought it. There's one person back there. Amen. The printers are delighted that you're still buying Bibles. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Now, pay attention to the imagery. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay, the Jordan River, that imagery is significant, right? Because that's the river they, the Israelites passed through in order to go into the promised land, which is a promise from God in the Old Covenant, in order that he would make them a new people. But in some respects, that, that imagery, uh, the Old Testament story is really never fulfilled. Yes, they get into the land, but it doesn't take long, and they're finally like thrown out of the land by God for their disobedience. Verse six is this uh, this. It goes on to talk about John. He, he's like Elijah. There's the imagery. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. I don't think the idea is that he's just a weird guy, right? It's actually that he's, he's hearkening back to the, the prophet Elijah, who was, who was the prophet of fire in the Old Testament. And here, John the Baptist, the prophet, is helping Israel remember its, its past, helping them confess their sins and I hope someone came here ready for a new start to start over, right? This is, a great, this is one of the great things about turning the year over is it's like a new year, it's a new start. I appreciated so much what he said this morning about starting over. And in Jesus, there is this ability to start over, but it starts with this heightened tense of anticipation. Now here's where you see John's anticipation. Go to verse seven. And this was John's message. Now, you almost get the sense that John's like on his toes at this point. He says, after me, after me is coming the one. After me, John says, the one is coming. John's excited about the one that's coming. Yeah, John, John had a following. He had a crowd. He baptized the crowds. All the countryside, they were coming out to him. But John's saying, it's not about me. It's about the one that's coming and he's gonna do something entirely new. Now, Pastor Brian last week reminded us that God's always doing a new thing, right? Remember this, this verse, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. Pastor Brian read this, he said, see, I'm doing a, a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. But every generation 
needs a fresh encounter with Jesus. Your kids can't live off of the fumes of an encounter you had with Jesus 30 years ago. Do you get that, parents? Your kids are not designed to live off of your old experiences. Thank God for your experiences, your encounters with Jesus, but we need to be leading our families and each other into fresh encounters with Jesus. Last week, I, I was able to, I was sick last week. I was planning on being here for this last service and then Pastor Brian returned the favor and I returned the favor back by being sick. And so I was able to, to, to watch online uh, like I know many of you are doing today. And I was able to watch that video of, our, of those five staff members. Was that not so moving? I was so moved by the faithfulness of those servants, those five servants. And by the way, actually, three of them are still like very much involved, and one is, one is still. Um, and so it was, it was interesting. I, I heard a comment this week from somebody that, that was an interesting read on that video because they said, well, there must be something really wrong at the church because all the, everybody's leaving, right? Let me address that kind of head on. I, I know it's, it's, it's humorous, but maybe that is a, it is a concern. I want you to see that, that that's, that's not the case at all. I mean, what you're seeing are faithful servants who've labored for a really long time in this place and have given their life and their love and everything to this place, and, they're, and they're, now they're in this season of transitioning, and what they're doing is they're trying to hand things off to the next generation so that this church can have a fresh encounter with Jesus as we move into the next phase. And I, I am so thankful for all those people, from Pastor Brian, Pastor Steve, all of them, Gordon, Carpenter, um, so many here who've, who've labored for so many years, and they are eager to hand, pass off the baton and that's exactly what they should be doing. That's faithful service. You see, Pastor Brian read Jeremiah chapter six last week as well. Jeremiah 6, 16. I love this verse and this, this image he gave us. He said, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. We are standing as a church at the crossroads and we wanna look back with gratitude. I can tell you, as only the third lead pastor in this church, I look back on Pastor Steve Almquist's ministry and say thank you for the years of faithful service that you gave this church. I look back on Pastor Brian Rice's many years of service at this church, and I say thank you, and I'm so excited about what God has done, but we don't live in the past. We can be thankful for the past, and Pastor Brian said that to us, sometimes when you hold on to the past wrongly, you can't actually move forward in the right ways. And so we can be grateful as a church as we stand at that crossroads, be thankful for the ancient past, ask for the good path, but then we've got to move forward and begin walking in it. And the good news for us as a church is one year, one year ago, the, the, the church board here had the insight to actually appoint a, a large group of people to begin looking at, like, who are we as a church, really trying to capture our identity of where we've been what we've been doing so that we can be faithful to that, but also asking, like, how do we get a fresh vision for how we move forward? What's the next era of life going to look like for Living Word? So the church board appointed several people to work with a, with a consultant, and we began exploring a fresh vision. And in this morning, we're telling you that this idea, we, we've prayed for a year and worked together, this idea of encountering Jesus together 
we believe is the next phase for us as a church. And so you're gonna hear a lot about that over the next six weeks, encountering Jesus together. And that starts with each of us having a heightened sense of anticipation of what God is about to do in our lives. Please don't tell me that you think God's best work in your life is behind you. It's not. I love that song, the worship song called This Is A Move. It says mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe it. Yes, we, we can see it. Wonders are still what God is doing. What is God about to do in your life this year, even starting today? What does God wanna do in the life of your kids? What does God wanna do in your workplace right here in York? What is it that God is about to do? Are you excited about it? Do you have a heightened sense of anticipation about it? Because that's where we start as a church in encountering Jesus as a heightened sense of anticipation. Now here's the second thing that I think you see in this story with John is that there's a, a church that's encountering Jesus will have a renewed, if I can call it a wow factor about Jesus, a renewed wow factor. John, John anticipated two things you'll see and look, go back to verse seven. Mark 1, 7, John anticipated that the one that was coming had this sense of all-surpassing worth. Hear that word, worth. Verse seven, and this was John's message, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now Jesus called John the Baptist. He called him the greatest born of all women. And many scholars believe John the Baptist represents the last of the line of the Old Testament prophets. And here is the greatest born of women. And he's saying, I am not worthy to do the lowest job of the slave in the household, which is to untie the master's sandals. John's saying, I am not worthy to do that compared to the one that's coming because he has so much worth and so much value and he is going to be amazing, but I'm not worthy even to untie his sandals. There's no comparison. Not too long ago, I was... uh, doing a little comparison. I was driving in another city, that another city that has a lot of money. A lot of money, okay? Not, it's not a Pennsylvania city. <laughs> there are some cities in Pennsylvania. I was driving this little rental car, you know, um, I'm budget conscious, I like to buy, so I'm buying, driving like a little cheapy rental car and I pull up, I mean, this, this is a city that's got a lot of sports cars, a lot of Lamborghinis, Aston Martins, Ferraris, and this Rolls-Royce SUV, like brand new, pulls up next to me. One of my kids is like hanging out the window, like, hey. I mean, they're clearly not looking at us because we are like not in the same class. Um, they're not looking at us, but he's trying to wave them down. And that one of my kids went on the internet. It's like this a $550,000 Rolls-Royce SUV next to me. And I, and like, I don't normally do this, but I, I did feel a little bit of the, like, that was a pretty nice car. Like my little rental car here <laughs> really doesn't compare. There's no comparison. All right, that's a worldly comparison. But John, John's sitting there with Jesus and he's saying, there is, you, you all, I may have a following. I'm nothing compared to the one that's coming. He is so worthy of our worship. John, so John anticipated his worth, but John also anticipated that he would have this sense of power that would be so amazing. He says in verse eight, 
I baptize you with water. I'm just, that's what I have at my disposal. He's got access to the Holy Spirit. And he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And you remember, after Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 2, what's the first thing that happens, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is poured out. And what does it look like? It looks like fire coming down. Actually, the other gospel writers say that he'll baptize you with water and with fire. He will have the ability to fill you with the very life of God. John's baptism, actually you'll find later that John's disciples who were baptized by him end up getting rebaptized into the name of Jesus, the worthy one. They get, and then they receive the, the Holy Spirit. I think as a church, one of the things we can do right now in this season is for each of us to begin asking God just to renew that sense of wow factor with Jesus, that we would see once again his worth, that we would see once again his power to fill us with the life of God. Because you know what? We actually know more than John the Baptist did in his earthly life. John ended up dying before he actually saw like all the really good stuff. We know the story about Jesus, how Jesus would, would go to a cross and how he'd overcome the grave, how he would ascend, how it'd be, there'd be a coronation in heaven. We know that whole story. So how on earth, how on earth in 2024 can we say, I don't have time for Jesus? How can we say it can wait for another day? How small has Jesus become to us that we get bored of him and bored of being involved with his people and church and serving in this community. So let me ask you, like right now as you're looking at this year, what gets more time than worship? What gets more time than spending time reading the scripture and, and asking God to make himself known here? What gets more time in your life than prayer? Are we bored with Jesus? Because if we encounter Jesus, we will see that he is fully worthy of all of our life, our love, and all of our worship. Now, encounter, encounter we, we like this word, the team that, that worked on this, encountering Jesus together, mission statement, we liked the word. It made us a little uncomfortable, honestly, as we, even as we asked folks what they thought about this, because it implies something that's like um, a struggle. It implies a confrontation, it implies something that's surprising that's about to happen. Have you ever met, have you ever met a celebrity? I mean, like a real celebrity, like somebody that like, like people would know this. You ever met them, had a chance encounter? I mean, like a chance encounter, you're walking through the airport and you saw somebody and you, and you stopped and you tried to talk to them, right? What was that encounter like for you? I, I, I will tell you, I'm not going to name names, Okay. Um, especially on the bad ones. I, I know some folks over time, over the years, I've had the opportunity to meet, for, meet people who've run for political office. One time somebody was running for governor. They actually had the opportunity to meet like their, they, this is their story, their hero, a presidential candidate. They met this particular person and they were so excited, but they were so turned off by how cold that person was and how disinterested they were. I've heard that from from a couple of major politicians, I don't like casting aspersions on politicians, I know they're busy, but I, I remember somebody telling me they had, they had a, a very major politician come through their business 
And this person would like just walk away in the middle of conversations, like and not even pay attention, right? I, I remember one time getting on a plane and, and they're like, and, you know, I'm 6'6", six, six, and so uh, there's a guy, I'm like, that guy's tall. And I'm like, oh, that, I knew what that is. I knew exactly what that was. Like, it's a guy that I actually hated, like, as a basketball player when I was younger. Like, one of those guys, I'm like, ah, I really hate that guy. So maybe it's, it's ideal that he would not be very friendly to me. Um, I didn't tell him I hated him, by the way, just to be clear. <laughs> but I saw him, and, and he clearly, like, just did not want to engage, and so I just left him alone. Interestingly, comedians, like famous comedians that I've met, like they're like the friendliest people. I don't know why that is. Um, I've met them in Cracker Barrel. I've met them in a coffee shop. And they were like very, very engaging. I love this story recently. Maybe you saw in the news. Uh, the lead singer from Aerosmith was over, I think, in Lancaster. And a lady came up to him. And she's like, oh, it's Steven Tyler. It's, it's like in a fishing shop or something like that. And she, she went up and engaged him. And she's like, oh, can I, can, my kids love you. Can I call my kids and have them, will you wait <laughs> while my kids come to meet you? And guess what Steven Tyler did? He waited. He waited with her, and he talked fishing with her while they waited. I was, so, I was so impressed by that, just by the fact that he would literally sit there and wait, and there's a picture and a whole story you can read online about that. These encounters can be surprising. Um, and, and we quite, never quite know what to expect. These are human encounters. I can tell you that when John met Jesus, John knew an awful lot about Jesus. He knew he was gonna be worthy. He knew he would have power to baptize with the Spirit. But this last point I want you to see is when he met Jesus, he was surprised. He, even John the Baptist, was surprised. And if as a church, we're going to encounter Jesus together, the third thing that will happen when we encounter Jesus together, is that I believe we will be ever surprised by the depth of Jesus' love for his people. I think when you encounter Jesus, you begin to see how much, not that just that he loves you, but how deeply he loves your neighbors, how deeply he loves his people. Look at verse nine. This is where this text starts to get really good. At that time, verse nine, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now just see for a second, the fact that he's mentioning Nazareth and Galilee, I joked about this on Christmas Eve, and somebody came up to me and they were very offended that I mentioned Brogue. Uh, they really weren't offended. <laughs> so maybe it's Yo, or you know, what other place would be insignificant? Here, don't say out loud, uh, don't say out loud. <clears throat> Jesus is from Nowheresville. I mean, that's the point. He's from Nazareth and Galilee. And, and he's coming with the crowds, the crowd, pictures, picture this, the crowds are just coming from the Judean countryside. They're coming from Jerusalem to John's, John's baptism. And Jesus is just right there in the mix. He's, he's an ordinary human from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Mark doesn't record it. Matthew and Luke record it. When Jesus goes to get baptized by John, John actually tries to stop him. He's like, no, he's like, no, 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 no. You baptize me, I will not baptize. And Jesus says, and Jesus says to him, and as if John says to Jesus, as if, like, what are you doing in the sinner's waters? That's what this is. This is a water for sinners. Like, you, you shouldn't be in this water with this. Like, I don't want to do this. And Jesus goes on. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Matthew's, Matthew's recounting, he says, but Jesus insisted, do it. 
God's work, putting things right all these centuries is coming together right now in this baptism. In this baptism right now, Jesus is making all things right. You know what I love about this is that Jesus loves his people, his sinful people, so deeply that he'll go into the Jordan River with them. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I hope you'll be surprised by that. He loves his people so much that he'll go into the waters with them. Yeah, we're, this is one of the things uh, I thought about when I was agreeing to become lead pastor here. I'm like, 2024 is an election season. You know that, right? Everybody's paying attention. Or maybe, like me, you want to turn it off. I thought, well, this is going to be a really contentious time. So politicians are all about making promises, especially a lot of politicians will make promises, especially to people who are poor, who are under-resourced. But how many of those politicians will actually move into the neighborhood to experience what it's like to be poor? Many people will say to you in the midst of hard things that you're going to, going through, I feel your pain, but you know they're not gonna do anything about it. But Jesus Christ, the one who's worthy, what does he do? He goes and he gets drenched in the Jordan with a bunch of unworthy sinners. That's what Jesus does. And look at verse 10. This is, boy, this is when this text starts to like really explode. Verse 10, and just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Don't miss that, torn open. That's like, that's like, Hearkening back to Isaiah 62, oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down, God. And that's what you see, the heavens are being violently torn open. John sees this, and the Spirit is descending on Jesus like a dove. The Spirit is, is now get this more imagery. The Spirit is almost like hovering over the waters. Where do you see that language? Like Genesis. It's about creation. It's about new creation and new people. The Spirit's hovering over the water and a voice comes from heaven and he says, you're my son. This is my son. This is the one that I love. With you, I'm well pleased. I love how David Garland, this commentator, puts it. He says this, he says, when Jesus comes out of the water, all heaven breaks loose. I like that. All heaven breaks loose. Do you notice that? Like the heavens tear open, the spirit is pouring down, the Father's speaking, and all eyes are on Jesus. It's like, this is my son, this is the one that I love. Folks, listen, he may have looked like us when he went into the water, but the waters revealed that he is very different than us, that he is the worthy one. He is God's beloved son. He is the obedient one. And there are two reasons this morning that you should be ever surprised by the depth of his love for you. And I hope you'll take this with you. You'll take this first point with you and really like let it wash over you. His love for you is deep. His love for you is deep. He went into the waters to fulfill righteousness, to identify with you in the waters. When we're baptized, it's a sign that we are united to Jesus. And so here's the good part. So, so when the Father sees you, he doesn't see your history. Yeah, he, he, he may be aware of it, but he sees Jesus. It's been forgiven. He sees his son. When the Father sees you, he sees you robed and clothed 
with the goodness and the righteousness of his son. And I hope that comes as a surprise to you today because some of you I know are hanging on to things you did in your past and you just can't get past it. When the father sees you, he sees his son. That's good news. And here's the second thing. The spirit's hovering over the water. The spirit's meeting Jesus in the water. And what's he doing? He's creating a new people. He is creating a new nation. That's what Mark wants you to see. That's what's happening here in this text. There is a gift, and that is our new family. And that's why it's so important as we, we this last, the third word of our, of our new mission statement, encountering Jesus together. Because we live in a time that's really individualistic. We live in a time where, where we act like lone rangers and individuals, but God has not created us to be lone rangers. We are, we are called to encounter Jesus together. You're gonna hear a lot about that in the next few weeks, about what it looks like to encounter Jesus together. I hope you're excited about a fresh encounter with Jesus. I hope as we as a church, as we begin to walk in a new path, we'll encounter Jesus together, and when we do, we will have a heightened sense of anticipation of what he's about to do. We will have a renewed wow factor about, what, about who Jesus is. And finally, we'll just constantly be ever surprised by the depths of his love for you, for me, and for all of York. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the one that you, you said he is the beloved one. You are well pleased with him. Thank you this morning for the gospel truth that because of him, you now look at us and you see us as a new creation, as your people. May we today begin as a church to encounter Jesus together. And if there's anyone here this morning who's never encountered Jesus, even in these next few moments, I pray, God, that you will, you will help them to have the courage to come face to face with you, to encounter you, and to let you do whatever it is that you need to do in their life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.